Hello and welcome to the latest Odds Checker betting podcast. This time we're focusing on day three of the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. And it of course features Golden Powell, the exciting American Raider who goes in the Cornwall Nunthorpe Stakes and superstar Sarah Stradivarius who bids to regain the winning thread in the Lonsdale Cup at 2.25. I'm once again joined by Odds Checker's resident tipster Andy Holding and Roy Delaghi. And chaps, just... We're filming this on Thursday, just reflecting on the Judmont International. Miss Riff was a winner, tipped up by yourself, Rory. What did you make in, uh, of the race in general? Uh, obviously, one or two disappointments in behind. And it's a little bit disappointing that Love doesn't seem to have trained on as well as as expected from three to four. But uh, to win a race like the International by six lengths, uh, you've got to be something pretty special. And uh, Mischief's had um, excuses for a couple of defeats this year. He's looked an absolute superstar before. The, the one issue we had with him is he wasn't he hadn't shown it in the UK. Um, he'd been globetrotting, uh, running in, in Saudi Arabia for obvious reasons in Maidan. Um, but he finally um, showed what an absolute world beater uh, he was on, uh, on English soil by, by winning that race by six lengths. And um, while, you know, you can you can go through the beaten horses and, and um, proffer some kind of excuse for them, I don't think any of them would have been good enough to beat Mishriff on the day. And Andy, just your reflection on the race. Obviously, as Rory touched on, it's a bit of a shame that Love doesn't see, doesn't seem to be the same horse she was last year. No, although we've never really got her running the, the kind of time figures at Mishriff and, and one or two of the better Group One horses, the older males that that, uh, that are around um, in the last two seasons. So, to be honest, yeah, it wasn't really that much of a disappointment for me. I wasn't going in there expecting fireworks and love. Um, she's arguably run up run. So somewhere near the kind of figure she's been running in the past, I just think that's the level she is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Mr. Riff was just so deadly on the day. I mean, I don't know what his time figure is. We haven't, we haven't actually done it yet, but I, I'd imagine it'll be close to something around the best that we've got so far this season. I, th- I think he dipped under standard by 2.5 seconds, which is a testament to, to his, his ability. He just kept quickening, didn't he, all the way down the straight. I mean, he just kept finding and finding and finding. And it was a referee stopped the contest job, wasn't it, inside the last furlong. Uh, very rarely do you get a, a race of that nature, one by six length. So um, he's very much back in the big time, isn't he, Mishriff? And just the final thing, just reflecting on yesterday's action in particular, was there anything that stood out for you in terms of, was there any bias at the track, anywhere that looked better in terms of ground than other places? What kind of stood out for you on the opening day? Um, well, I was playing golf yesterday afternoon, um, so I've only <laughs> I've only actually um, watched the replays this morning. Um, I listened to a couple of commentaries, and, and at the time, the horses I'd, I'd backed, um, I think he probably wanted to be sort of more middle to far side, just based on, on what we saw on the straight track. Horses that were held up too far back didn't really get into it either. I think the pace held up in general. I don't know if Rory's um, going along with that. Whether yeah, that I'd agree with that. Whether that will pan out over the next few days is obviously open to, open to debate. I think we'll get more of a, a guide um, um, with two days' worth of data, if you like, rather than just one. Um, yeah, but if I, if I was if there was a 22, 20, 20 odd runner field on the straight track, the last thing what place I'd want to be is still 20, 21 and 20. I think you, you want to be sort of no worse than 15 across to, or even over towards the far side. Roy, do you have anything to add in terms of that? No, so, I mean, in fairness, there were, there were one or two who were showing speed um, uh, towards the near side who um, um, who ran to form. I mean, um, I was, I suppose, in the end, I think he finished about fifth or sixth, didn't he? Jawal in the opener, I thought he really caught the eye. Um, and I thought for a second he was going to win that race, but he was probably drawn too high 
uh, in the end. But he did he did look like he was going to get into contention. It was just in the last uh, half furlong that that um, that petered out. But yeah, as Andy says, um, just because it panned out uh, in a certain way on on the first day at York, um, half the issue with York is is sometimes you'll have a meeting where there's a there's a really strong bias, um, be that um, in terms of pace or um, or draw, and that actually helps punters out. Uh, because you know that you can rely on that the following day. York's one of those tracks where theoretically it's very fair and you seem to see a bias the first day uh, and the second day you could see that turned in its head. So don't be relying on the patterns you saw on the first day holding up through the rest of the week. Um, the other thing I would say is the ground seems, uh, given the going stick is is less under seven um, and they said they've, they've had no need to water because of how much rain there was in, in July. Uh, it was riding very much on the quick side, I thought. Uh, as you can tell from, from the, the time of the international, for example, and I thought one or two. Well, I think what we'll see is is um, potentially some of the fat, some of the soft ground horses uh, coming out today and tomorrow, um, unless it rains. And the more I look at the weather forecast, the more it seems that the rain at York is going to arrive after racing on Saturday. Um, so that might see fields get decimated. Great. Thank you very much for that, both. And just before we go on to Friday's action, just let me point you in the direction of the Odds Checker site and app. It's the best place to compare odds, extra places and offers between the bookmakers, and you'll also get free tips from Andy and many more. So let's start off with the 225 from York on Friday afternoon, and that's his Stradivarius. Bids regain the winning thread as he runs in the Weatherby's Hamilton Lonsdale Cup Stakes over just further than two miles live on ITV. Stradivarius is the current six to five favourite as he looks for a third win in this race from the last four years. True Shan is nine to four for Holly Don Allen King. Spanish Mission for William Buick and Andrew Balding is eleven to four. Stratum for Ryan Moore and Woody Mullins is twelve to one. And the Grand Vizier is the forty to one outsider for Richard Kingscote and Ian Williams. Just before we delve into the race itself, chaps, what have you made of Stradivarius so far? this year, Rory, in terms of his performance in the Gold Cup and whether you still think he's the force he was of old? I I don't think he's quite as good as he was. Uh, and I think connections are also beginning to think that as well to some degree. And um, they're they're talking retirement for him if, if um, you know, and he's a seven-year-old now. It's it's remarkable that he's been at the top for so long since since uh, his, um, you know, his placeness and ledger as a three-year-old uh, won the Goodwood Cup. So he's been, you know, he's been at the very top of his game for a long time. And that's very unusual in this game. So it's only natural that he should be just showing signs of wear and tear now as a seven-year-old. Frankie got lambasted for his ride in the Gold Cup. I don't think Frankie did nearly as much wrong as most people thought. Uh, I thought he was outridden by a much younger jockey in, in Joey Sheridan that day who kept him in a pocket. But I, normally Frankie's got the horse underneath him to get him out of trouble. And Stradivarius is, is a much trickier ride than you'd think watching um, Frankie um, win on him on a regular basis. He does uh, He does need a little bit of cover. He, he wants to be produced at the last moment. And Frankie's done such a good job of that over the years that we've kind of taken it for granted that Stradivarius is actually pretty straightforward, and he's not. Um, and it's not going to be easy in a small field for him either because he does need a bit of cover. He needs to be, needs to be produced, as we said, with, with um, perfect timing. Um, and I thought, you know, even when he got out of trouble in the, in the Gold Cup, he was never going to catch Subjectivist. But if you ignore Subjectivist and look at the Gold Cup as a race um, between the next three home, uh, he wasn't really making inroads on the second and third, really. I mean, he did briefly, but he, he you know, you, you wouldn't have... Stradivarius of, of 12 or 24 months ago would have picked them up, um, and he didn't look capable of doing it this time around. Um, the ground is is in his favour in theory, and John, John Gosner said on multiple occasions that he doesn't want soft ground, but his career best performance came on soft ground in the Gold Cup last year. 
So um, I'm, I'm not I'm not a massive fan that um, this fast grind will um, uh, will will see a turnaround. Obviously, it was firm. It, it, it turned very firm um, and asked it for the Gold Cup. So no excuses for him there, really, on that on that uh, score either. He's still got a decent chance of winning this, and I don't think Trushan will run. Um, we're in exactly the same situation as we were with the Gold Cup. Alan King has has been a pain to say that he must have softish ground. In my view, I think Trushan will be okay on good ground, but uh, I think if Kingy walks the track today, he will consider the ground to be good to firm. And if and if he thinks it's good to firm, we don't have any rain overnight. And you know there are there are possible showers today and tomorrow, but they could be very light or non-existent. Uh, and if there isn't appreciable rain, I think Kingy will take Trushan out, uh, which will make Stradivarius a very short price. And to be honest, the more I look at this race, the more I think Spanish Mission is, is you know, uh, the obvious bet. Um, he, he was no match for Stradivarius last year, but Spanish Mission is a horse who does need quick ground. Um, probably doesn't say two and a half miles, but two miles is ideal for him. And with Stradivarius just on the downgrade um, and Spanish Mission seeming at his peak, I think he's got a very good chance here. Stratum wants softer ground as well. Uh, and the Grand Vizier is a lovely, a lovely horse who, who needs further and isn't quite up to um, to this class. He might outrun his odds, but you can't see him winning it. So I think Spanish Mission's an obvious bet here. Obviously, um, uh, uh, a friend of mine backed Spanish Mission, Andy Post, three places at seven to two, which was which was stealing money, I think. Although I thought that about Alpinista and the Yorkshire Oaks. So it's, it pans out for some of us and not for others. Um, yeah, getting three places on a horse like that looks like, you know, because it looks like it's going to be a four-runner race. Uh, so you'd be hard pressed to lose on a bet like that. But yeah, with questions over Stradivarius um, and a, a strong possibility that Trushan doesn't run, um, you're not getting, obviously you're not getting the fancy prices about Spanish Mission, but I, I'd much rather have him than anything else in the race. Spanish Mission, a general three to one shot across the board for Rory. What about yourself, Andy? Are you with or against Stradivarius? Um, I think the, the, the one thing that Rory probably didn't touch upon there um, is now Trushan's likely to be out, which I'm in agreement with, is where's the pace going to come from here? Uh, all four of these horses here, by and large, want to be held up. I've gone back through the career history of, of Stradivarius, and he did make the run in Doncaster in 2019, and I've got a sneaky feeling this is how this race is going to pan out. I think Frankie's going to try and dictate matters from the front. He'll go quite slowly, I'd imagine, and then he'll use that turn of foot that Stradivarius has got, probably from somewhere turning for home between the three and the four. So he's going to try and catch the other three with their trousers down, for want of a better phrase. Um, Spanish mission, I think, at this moment in his career, is probably the more upwardly mobile of the two. I think that's definitely panned out uh, at Ascot when he beat Stradivarius fair and square. But that was off the back of a healthy pace. And that's what Spanish mission to all intents and purposes, once he wants to be held up, coming off a strong pace, on fast ground, galloping track and coming through towards the end. I don't think this race is necessarily going to be run to suit him. Um, I can certainly make a case for him, of course, because uh, I, I think like I, said, I think it, I think if this was an evenly run race, like it was at Ascot, I would probably back him as well at the, the odds. But because of the vagaries of how it might be run, and I'm, I'm, I'm only guessing might, what, what might happen, it makes it difficult to have, have a right proper crack at the race. Ultimately, with Trushan out, I'm not interested in, in the betting medium because I just think Trushan's the best in this division by a mile. Uh, and he'll definitely win at Ascot later on in the season when he gets his soft ground. But for now, uh, with him out, um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a bit of a bit of a puzzle. But yeah, I, I, I think that, like I said, I think Stradivarius will go from the front and 
He'll certainly give his supporters um, every chance of winning this time. Do you feel this is his last season, Andy? Yeah, I think so. You know, the fact that they didn't run him at Goodwood, they're trying to wrap him in cotton wool now. They know that he's only probably got one or two races to peak now and they don't want to risk him in races that are unnecessary um, because he's done them so proud over the years. So this is probably his, his final hurrah, really. This is the race that he's got to win um, because I think it'd be all guns blazing in this race because if it, if it was going to, if it was soft ground Ascot later on the season, they probably might think, well, it's his, it's his last chance we'll run him because that, that'll be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the likelihood is he won't have his ground that, that day, whereas tomorrow he will. I think there's half a chance he might be retired if he does win, then he might be retired on the spot. Yeah, on the spot. Um, yeah. Or get beat, he could retire him. Yeah, well, this is true as well. Yeah, um, I think uh, his owner will want to be able to, re- to to announce his retirement in front of a race crowd and in front of the TV cameras. Yeah. Because the horse has been so important um, on the staying scene for, for years, but also particularly to, to Bjorn Nielsen. So rather than saying, you know, when the ground turns up soft at Ascot in October and going, he's not going to run and will make a decision about next year um, during the winter, and then he just sort of disappears. I think he will want to say, um, you know, he, ideally he wants to say, here he is going out in a high, uh, and, and basically parade him in front of the people and say, thank you for your support, rather than just letting it slip away um, through the winter. So it'll be interesting to see. And he doesn't, they don't want him to go up, to go out on, on a defeat either. So you might be right that they, they you know, they decide that it's, it's all or nothing tomorrow uh, and try to uh, try to nick the race from the front. Uh, and if they do, that might they might see that as uh, an opportunity to to say so long and thanks for all the fish. To coin a phrase. Okay, well that's the Worthy's Hamilton Lonsdale Cup at two twenty five. Don't miss that. It could indeed be Stradivarius's swung song. So no bet for Andy in this, but Rory's pretty confident in Spanish mission at around the three to one mark for William Buick and Andrew Balding. We then move on. One hundred fifty thousand pound contest at three o'clock is the Albasti at Kuala Dubai. Gimcrack stakes, we've got a favourite at the moment is Lucille for Pat Dobbs and Richard Hannon around the 9-4 to four mark. But it is as short as 15-8 to eight with Betfair, so do make sure that you are looking at the odds checker app and shopping around. Berkshire Shadow is 7-2 to two for Oshie Murphy and Andrew Balding. Thereby is a 6-1 to one shot. Vintage Clarets is 7-1. to one. Arazio is 12-1. to one. Eldrick Jones is a 14-1 to one shot. And Giza Sub is 16-1. to one. And it's about 16-18 to one bar. The rest. Uh, just on this race, just we'll start with you, Andy. Who do you fancy in the gym crack? Um, I, I've been a big fan of, of Lucille all season. Um, he, he impressed when he won here at York on his debut uh, back in May. I mean, he set up twenty-eight to one that day, which, looking back in hindsight, was probably the better of the century, wasn't it? If if you knew how good he was going to be further down the line. Um, but in keeping with how races pan out at York, you needed to be down the middle. Um, during that early part of the season. And the fact that he managed to row his own boat on the wing up the stand side rail and, and still managed to uh, be victorious is commendable to be commendable to his, his ability. Um, his only modest race came next time out of Pontefract on soft ground beyond Angel Blue. Obviously, revels in those those conditions. He, he went to um, uh, Newmarket and won under a penalty next time out, stretching out over seven furlongs. And then he went to the July stakes, and it's that race that I want to concentrate on, really, because I, th- I think it's that race that gives him a form edge on, on this field. Uh, he beat the best collection of two-year-olds we've seen so far this season. You know, you've got Royal Ascot winners in there. Horses that ran well at Royal Ascot, Edric uh, Jones, Dig Two, Project Dante. 
they were at a Herculean pace and Lucille was up with the speed all the way on the sharp end, right down the middle of the track. Um, so it, it theoretically should have suited the horses coming off the speed, like Asymmetric and Redborough River. Uh, but he, he rallied again once he was headed and he, he hit the line very strong, clocked an amazing time figure, still the best time figure that we've got so far this season from a juvenile. And the form has worked out accordingly. Asymmetric, the second has won since. Ebro River won a group one next time. Um, it's just a superb piece of form. Um, and he goes back to York and he's the only course and distance win. I think he's probably nearly the only horse that's in this field that's run at York, let alone won there. I, I can't recall any of these horses that, um, running at York before. Maybe there might be the odd one or two, but I think I, I'm pretty sure that, that there might be only one other. Um, so he does tick a lot of boxes to corner phrase. He's drawn nicely in seven. I don't mind that draw either. Um, and I think it's probably, in hindsight, a bit of a, a of benefit to him that he didn't go to roll to Goodwood in the in the vintage stakes uh, and have a hard race on soft ground. And he comes here relatively fresh, whereas Boxer Shadow did have a hard race. Um, so I think his form is better than Boxer Shadow's, and I think he's the right favourite, and hopefully a win. Lucille for Andy at general nine to four shots with the likes of Bet365, Skybet, Bet Victor, Bet Fred, Betway, and Board Sports. What about yourself, Rory? Yeah, I'd, I'd largely agree with that. We discussed the sale um, and when, we're, when we were looking at, uh, at Goodwood um, and uh, his chances there. Um, yeah, the July stakes has worked out really well. Um, Lucille will be very happy on the ground. Uh, as his best performance came in the quickest ground he's raced on so far, and he's clearly well suited by it. Uh, and yeah, with with um, the fact that he's beaten Group One winners in that race, uh, suggests he's he's quite overpriced at nine to four. I, I don't see him going off at that. I think I, yeah. I can see him being a six to four shot. Um, nine to four is a surprising price. I mean, the only negative I would say I, I thought there was um, the, there was a bias to those who raced towards the centre of the track at Newmarket that day. But the problem, of course, with with putting that forward is that is that um, a couple of those have come forward and run really well in Group races since anyway. So even if there was, even if the, even if those who raced on the rail um, were at a disadvantage, the form book suggests that they wouldn't have got involved um, anyway, even if they were all racing on the same part of the track. So there's not much to um, uh, to knock Lucille for at all. He's very like his sire, who of course only raced at two, was very tough, um, and Lucille seems cut from the same cloth. He just seems, you know, six months ahead of these in terms of development, doesn't he? Um, and I think that's going to make him hard to beat. Uh, a few of these, I think, are flattered by um, uh, by um, running in races that suited them ideally. Fearby uh, was won by five lengths in the um, in the Dragon Stakes at Sandown. He was really helped by an overly strong pace there um, and came home much better than the others. Now, he's not he's a good horse, but he's not quite as good as that suggests because it was a perfect scenario for him. Um, against the others, he ran well at Goodwood last time out. But um, you know, I think that's give you an indication that the the um, the margin of his win in a listed race was a little bit flattering to him. Similarly to the the three who ran in the Coventry, the Coventry was run ridiculously uh, fast, and um, the first three home came from well off the pace, uh, and they all run here again. Uh, Berkshire Shadow, uh, Eldridge Jones, and Vintage Clarets. Um, you know, they've they've um, all all been beaten since. Um, Barsha Shadow is still a decent horse, but he's drawn and still 11 of 11, which I think is a bad place to be. And I don't think he's a particularly fast six furlong horse. I think he's a seven furlong horse. And uh, this is not going to be the ideal race for him. He's, he's the best of them anyway. Eldrick Jones was was badly drawn uh, at Newmarket and then badly hampered at Goodwood. 
um, and he could run a bit better. You could argue there's a little bit of value in him because he's not had the run of things in his last two races. But I think you're looking at place money um, for him. Uh, and Vintage Clarence, I think he's, he's pretty exposed now. Um, he was uh, well beaten in the Super Sprint. Um, you can make some excuses for him um, on that occasion. But again, I thought he was he was very experienced coming into the Coventry and he was very well suited by the way the race was run. So I think there's no improvement to come from him. The one horse I thought who might who might um, run well for a long way here, although he needs to improve, is Giza Saab, who I think will get the run of things. Because a lot of these are strong stairs at six furlongs, um, whereas um, Giza Saab is very fast. They got the tactics badly wrong with him at Goodwood. I don't know why they didn't go to the front with him at Goodwood, because um, he's all speed. Uh, and that ended up, the, the Richmond ended up being a really messy race where everyone thought Gizzasov was going to lead and they all ended up kind of in a heap. Uh, and there were hard luck stories there. Um, he'll be better back in quick run. He's run at York. He was he was a close second on his debut. Um, so he handles the track. He improved to win at, uh, at Pontefract on his second start. And I think he'll be suited by the relative test of speed that this race will be. So I think he's the um, he's the place value in the race, Gizzasov. But um, while I might have tried to get away from the favourite, had he been sort of an eleven to eight, six to four shot, at nine to four, I can't, I can't let Lucille go. I think he's the obvious bet in the race. Nine to four, Lucille, the pick for you. But it also gives a good mention to Giza Sub, who is as big as twenty to one with Bet Three Six Five. Andy, you also seem confident on Lucille. Is there anything else in the price that captures your attention at all? Um, I, I quite like um, Arazio as a horse. Um, I thought that performance at Derby last time out was very eye-catching. It was only second start in his career, and he was well fancied that day. But um, um, he's just raced away from where he needs to be. Um, I kind of like marked him up on that on that performance. I think he's going the right way. I, I could see him running well, but his form is nowhere near as good as Lucille's. I'd almost go as far as to say Lucille at the prices is, is probably the best, probably the better of the of, the, of all the four days for me. He's he's just a he's just a complete box ticker, isn't he? You can't fault him in any anyway. Time figures, track form, ground, draw, um, draw. He's just he's just got everything you look for um, in a, in a bet, a solid bet at that price. I, I've just done another little uh, quarter of an hour podcast with a good friend of mine as well. I just wanted my thoughts on on tomorrow and Saturday, and um, I actually said exactly the same as Roy. I, I said I thought he'd be south of two to one. I'm surprised that he's available back at nine to four. Okay. Interesting, and he's just drifted out to five to two with William Hill. So if you're yeah. going to snap up, get on now. It, but Lucille, a, a very confident selection for both the chaps here in the gym crack. We then move on to the feature race today, and it is an absolute cracker. It's the Cornwall Wilton Bassett Numfort Stakes over five furlongs. A brilliant field of fifteen, uh, fifteen go to post for this event, and they're headed at nine to four by Golden Pal for Frankie Dettori and American trainer Wesley Ward. We've then got Suesa eleven to four for Francois Rojo, eleven to two for Winter Power, six to one Dragon Symbol, fourteen to one Liberty Beach Mosquil and Kayamoro. And it's then 20 to 1 bar. But Frankie Dettori jetted into York early this week via helicopter. So just have a little gallop on Golden Pal. He said he moved like a gazelle on the Knaves Mar. But Andy, coming to you first, what do you think about firstly this American Raider and whether he deserves to be the 9 to 4 favourite for the non four? Ah, oh, this is, I mean, this is just a, a, a going to be a great race to watch, isn't it? And it's going to be blinking, you'll miss it. Was it 50, take 50, 56 seconds in and around that mark to run it? Um, could be, you know virgin on track record territory here. Um, the one thing to say before we get onto the horses individually, including Golden Pal, is there's going to be an absolute shed load of pace on, isn't there? Um, 
Winter Power, Kiyomura, Liberty Beach, um, Golden Pal himself, of course, uh, Dakota Gold, Bedford Flyer, all drawn from different parts of the track as well. So they're going to go hurtling along the Naismar for the first three furlongs. Um, that pace has obviously got to collapse at some stage. You, you, you won't get a, uh, a luxury where horses are going to be able to just do, dictate and do their own thing. And I think that might just count against Winter Power because when she's ended up winning, it's by, by and large when she's got an uncontested lead and been able to get some kind of a breather in and then kick again. But the day that she was taken on at Ascot um, in the King Stand, she, she felt, felt quite to seed out. And I can see that happening again. I just can't see her lasting all the way. Interestingly, including Golden Powell, um, who's, a, who's a very um, uh, eye-catching runner, they're, they're, he's drawn his stall one and the favourite Suez has drawn 14 so you've got one on either side there so one of them is going to be in the disadvantageous, disadvantageous position on the evidence of day one you'd say Golden Pal in stall one has got a better draw than Suiza plus Suiza probably wants a little bit of ease in the ground as well perhaps a lot of ease in the ground um, so at 9-4, to 5-2 to two, I'd, I'd want to be taking on Suiza under these circumstances Um I think this race could set up for a closer or, 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 or a bit of a shock result. I, th- I think there's, there's a potential here for something to do something that it hasn't done before or, or just outrun its odds. I, mm. I do think the two-year-old Chipotle is an interesting runner at 40-1. to 1. He's got the cheek pieces on for the first time, which, which might just help him. He's running the super sprint, can be uh, cast aside because he got badly hampered when he was coming through the, what looked a potent challenge. He hated the soft ground at Goodwood, which, on the evidence of what we saw at Sandown early in the season, was always going to happen. But Surprised either side, there. yeah, absolutely, yeah. Rory. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but either side of that, his three wins on genuine good to firm ground have been extraordinary. The day when he won at Goodwood, he won the Windsor Castle. Um, if you compare the three five furlong sprint races on day one and day two, there were the King Stand, the Windsor Castle, and the Queen Mary. He's closing sectional of thirty four two was better than Oxted's 34-5 and Quick Susie's 35 dead. So if you look at him, I know obviously Oxted was day one and, and um, um, his own race, the Windsor Castle, was day two, but there wouldn't have been that amount of difference between the ground because uh, there wasn't any watering going on. Um, it, it still shows you just what, how the level he ran to that day and compared to the older horse race, the King Stand. The time figures were comparable as well the overall time figures um so the fact that chipotle now comes back here on firm ground um and he's receiving a stone and eight pounds off the older horses um suggests that he's no 40 to one shot um and he's drawn right in the middle as well so clearly the faster they go the better his chances and and so he's He's definitely over, been overlooked as far as I can see. And a couple of others as well at price as well. I think Moss Gill's a player. His mm-hmm. form figures here at the York are absolutely extraordinary. I think he's never finished out the first three, including been placed in this race before. The day when he finished second to Winter Power, Winter Power got a freebie in front and he ran on strongly to finish second. Um, but with Winter Power likely be, <clears throat> excuse me, likely be taken on, I don't think she'll have the luxury of being able to just boss the race and, and do what she did that day. So I think Mo- Moss Gill at 20 to 1. He's a big player, given away this race is likely to be run and, and, and he's likely to be coming through strongly. Um, and I'd also throw in Emirati Anna at a big price as well. He, he looked a different character when held up last time out at York in a fast time, at uh, Hamilton in a fast time. So 
I'm looking at horses currently at 40 to 1, 20 to 1, and 40 to 1. Mm. And, I, and I don't think these races, I think we already agree, there's a great deal between first and last or, or first and sixth and seventh. You'll probably get the first eight home here covered by no more than a length and a half. Um, nothing's going to win it by a wide margin. It'll be where you're drawn, who's in front when the music stops. You get funny results in this race. Whereas the, the mile is the mile and a quarter, mile and a half races. The class can really tell, and you get a mischief kind of performance where they win by six lengths, just because they're over that trip. Their dominance is even more apparent. But it, I think in these races, there's fine, fine margins with 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 the difference between winning and losing. So I think you can get plenty of potential for a shock. So I'm more than happy to play at big odds here. Emiratiana, Moscipotle. I'll probably have a fiddle around with those three. At, Big prices, three, four places each way. I'll be, I'll be disappointed if I don't get at least one in the frame there with that lot. Chipotle bidding to one of the first two-year-olds since Kingsgate Native in 2007 to win the number four. Generally available, as Andy says, at 40 to one. Emiratiana, another 40 to one shot. And if you're going to back Moskill, 20 to one with Bet365, but 16 across the board. So Bet365, the biggest price there. What about yourself, Rory? It's a fascinating contest. Who do you fancy to win the number four? Yeah, I, think, I just want to underline a couple of things that Andy said there. You never never be afraid of backing one at a big price in this particular race with a big field because it's it's not about raw ability. It's about having the race run to suit you. And Andy's made a very good point. There's some very speedy horses in here, but most of them want to dominate. Um, and if they can't dominate, then they could they could fall in a hole. I mean, look at, you know, Batash is the best five furlong horse we've seen in, in, in 20 or 30 years. And he managed to get himself beaten in this race a couple of times. Um, so it's always possible if things don't pan out for you. And I think Andy's got a got a good point about the um, the gap between top and bottom, particularly when some of these horses have, have standout performances when they've been able to blaze. Uh, and that's probably true of Golden Pal as much as anything. Whether stall one is a good place to be or not, I don't know. I would I would say I don't mind being drawn low, but I, being drawn lowest of all um, could be a little bit tricky unless Frankie's able to to find some straight out and come across a little bit. Uh, you don't want to be stuck on a wing, especially when your main danger is on the other other side of the track. Um, and Frankie's been blindsided in this race before. Of course, he won't he won't forget that in a hurry. Um, and the question with Golden Palace is how good is he? He's been hyped to the skies, um, but it's impossible. You know, it's impossible for us um, from a European perspective to watch his U as US races and and come to the conclusion that he's, you know, somehow the best we've seen. Um, he was an easy winner at um, at Saratoga last time out, but I didn't think he was. I don't think he was finishing particularly strongly there. I mean, he left the others for dead, but they all seemed, they all seemed to be stopping uh, in behind him that day rather than seeing it out. Uh, and he was eased close home. But how that performance, I mean, a time form give him a, um, an adjusted rating of 120 for that, which puts him behind half the field. So you've got to adjust it upwards and say, well, he had loads in hand. So they, they've given him an eight-pound adjustment for that performance. We were told he was a superstar at Ascot last year, and he's beaten by the Learjet. And the Learjet's not won since. So it's difficult to know. He's, as I said, the reputation's always been there, but mostly with Wes Ward's horses. When they've come with big reputations, they've immediately won, and then, you know, they, they've carried that forward with them. With Golden Pal, he's done his winning in the States. He's looked good, but there's, it's difficult to say exactly how good he, how good he is in European terms. Uh, and I think he's a difficult horse to back at a short price because had he come over, had you had an identical race 20 years ago, He'd have been sixteen to one because of his because people would look at the U.S. form, try to put a figure on it, and say, "Well, he's got a bit to find." 
and American horses coming over to the UK, you know, you can't really fancy them. But because uh, we're now led entirely by uh, by sound bites and by by media expectation, and everyone falls over themselves to to and Wes Ward will talk to whoever wants to talk to him and he give a very good interview. We've heard nothing but Golden Pal for this for months. Yeah. So he might be the real deal, but we're basing his brilliance on what we're told about him, not what we've seen of them. They so, never work. They never work badly in a solo trial either, as well, do they? <laughs> no, they don't do they. <laughs> so I mean, I'm, he could win this. If, if anything's going to win it by four or five lengths, it's probably him. But I'm not going to back him to do it. Not not at the price he is. Uh, one thing to say about Swaysa, um, her form suggests she wants softer ground, but her connections are adamant she wants she wants good ground. When she came over to ask it, they were expecting good ground. Of course, it was firm on the Friday and then heavy on the Saturday. They weren't expecting that, and they thought that that's what got her beaten. Um, so I should say that although she doesn't have uh, a huge amount of um, of uh, form on quick ground, um, they think she'll handle quick ground at least as well as she handles soft. So that's just worth bearing in mind. Uh, whether stall 14 is a good place to be, um, again, she's right on that, on that other wing. Not ideal for me. Um, and I thought they really set things up for her at Goodwood. She was, she was impressive winning that by three lengths, but they all seemed determined to get each other beaten in that race. Uh, I thought there was some poor jockey shit going on. It was a bizarre race to watch. We all knew you wanted to be near the stands real, and everyone was just desperately trying to get away from it. And she was the one who came through. You could have driven three buses um, through where she came with a run. And although she was very impressive, it's difficult to put a figure on that. In terms of the, the time figure, very moderate. Um, but there were difficult conditions to, to do. And obviously the race was not was run at a, at a bit of a crawl for a five furlong sprint. I think it's difficult to be absolutely adamant about what she achieved. Again, she could be exceptionally good and she's got a big reputation, but you're taking a little bit of trust with her. Um, Winter Par, I do like, you know I like Winter Par, I put her up at Ascot, but you were you were absolutely spot on when, when you spoke about her at Ascot, Andy, and you said that, you know, uh, blazing off at York is one thing, blazing off at Ascot is a different thing altogether. And she went far too fast. I, th I thought she came in for a bad ride at Ascot uh, from, from Sylvester D'Souza, who's been so good over the years. Um, but um, he just, he went so, there was no way she was going to see that either way, the, the speed she went. And all those who were on the front end um, struggled um, at the end of that contest. Uh, you might be right that she needs to dominate. I just think she needs a speed favoring track. And I think she can, I think she could cope well enough with that. So I'd give her a chance. Although my worry would, well, again, would be the same. If Golden Pal bounces out in front from stall one and Sylvester D'Souza thinks, I'm not going to let you lead and they get into a war then that's liable to set it up for a finisher as well. So that's a little bit of a concern, but I'd still be positive about Winter Par. I think a few of these just went further than five furlongs. Um, Dragon Symbol ran really well at Goodwood and was a little bit unlucky in that he was carried a long way across the track. I don't think Oshin Murphy ended up on the far side through his own choice. Um, but yeah, that he should have been drawn ideally at Goodwood to win, but he stays six furlongs really strongly. Uh, and as we've seen over the years, there's a massive difference between a really fast five at York and a stiff six at Ascot. So I'm a little concerned about how he'll cope with that. Um, same, uh, you say the same thing for um, uh, for one or two others. Rohan, I don't think he's going to cope with five furlongs at York. He's a lovely horse, but it's not the ideal scenario for him. Again, he's a horse to be interested in when he goes to Ascot at the end of the season. When people see a, a row of duck eggs against his name, he'll be bouncing back when he runs at Ascot. Um, I thought Emiratiana had, had each way claims. Um, again, he doesn't want to get in. He's, he's often ridden forward in his races, but he might be seen to better effect just sitting off the pace 
because they're going to go very fast here. And although, you know, he's. You look through his form and you see that, you know, at, at, at six furlongs, he's a fair way behind the very best. Um, but the five furlong races suit him a little bit better. And he's a pretty solid candidate. So I can see, again, he's not good enough to win this race unless everything falls his way. But I could see him hitting the frame. So that's the one I'd, I'd uh, agree with, with Andy with in terms of the each way bets. He'd be my outsider for the race. But although I do have slight misgivings, um, I think Winter Parr um, is just very, very good on quick ground at York. And I'll, I'll take a chance that she doesn't get involved in a, or that even if she does get involved in a bit of a war, she'll see it out a lot better here than she did at Ascot. Um, and I suppose the one I should mention, um, uh, Chill Chill uh, in the same colours. Um, she's improving all the time and I can see her being suited by a really strong pace. Again, the concern with her is that she stays a stiff six furlongs really well. So while she'll be doing a good late work here, I think it will probably be too little too late. Um, so to sum that up, um, I'll chance I'll chance Winter Power at the prices, but Emma Ratiana each way is is um, tempting. So Winter Power 11 to 2 for Sylvester Souza. And we've also got Emiratiana at around 40 to mark. Interesting, fun thing, Andy, on Emiratiana. Obviously, was very impressive at Hamilton last time out. And Kay Amoro, who is 14 to 1 with Paddy Power. I know she's second in the race last year to Batash, but she's, you know, double the price, essentially, mm -hmm. of Emiratiana. Is that just based on the fact that the number four, if you've run well in the race or you've won, you've run well at York before, it's a track that you can run well at again, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think with Emiratiana, um, so with with uh, Kea Mora, um, I think she she come comes into this race this year not quite in the same nick as she did twelve months ago. I know we had different timescales and um, you know we didn't start racing until June, but um, what I've seen of her so far this season, she's a little bit below par. I, I think that's born out of the fact that she was down the field in that York race. She runs York incredibly well. She was she was second favourite in that race at Winter Power one early on in, in the season, actually only a month ago, and she showed nothing that day. She got battered by Emiratiana last time out at Hamilton. I, I I can't see her turn. I know it's York, but I can't see her turning the form around with Emiratiana. And I, I can't for the life of me understand why there's such a massive discrepancy in the prices. I think last year's last year's Nunthorpe was a very odd race, a small field, obviously. And you also yeah. had a strong, a very strong side wind as well. And the, that race just broke in half very quickly after the start. And those who were held up had no chance. And Kayamoro just had everything go her way. She had the wind to help her. She, she managed to get that lead uh, and she forced Patash to work really hard to get to her. But it, it flatters her massively. Uh, she's a really likable mare, but that one run uh, is not indicative of her, of her overall form. Yeah, I mean it's not impossible. Kim Walker run well. It's Michael Dodds. It's you know, he's uh, he's he's turned around the fortunes in some horses who seemingly haven't got strong form when the, when it counts most. But yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd soon be on a, a Maratiana. And just a final question, Rory, on Golden Powell. Is there a chance that, you know, he's coming from America, running around turns, Ben's, I know he's run at Ascot before. Could he just essentially, could everything happen too quickly for him in this race? I don't think so, because he appears to be exceptionally fast over the first few furlongs of a race. And um, uh, the way that um, the West Ward trains them, um, they, they're never lacking in the early, you know, in the, the first half of the race, they'd be very comfortable. Um, from what I've seen, those West Ward horses who, who are just below the very top, um, their weakness is if they don't get away and have the race one at halfway, they're very vulnerable in the last furlong of a race. 
So that I'd be more concerned about about how you finish this this race than how he starts it. Uh, I think he'll be he should be uh, in the lead or close to the lead um, early on, and it's just a case of how he sees it out. And he's he's just impossible the way up. I'm not suggesting that he's a bad horse here. I'm just suggesting that um, his price is uh, a product of of all the talk about him. Um, and his American form might be really good, but it's hard for us to weigh up. And of course, two-year-old form is irrelevant when you come to a race like the Nunthorpe. You need to prove how well you've trained on. And he's got one he's got one win in what was a fairly weakly contested grade three. So he's hard to weigh up. But the market says that he's proven and he's not really. Brilliant. Interesting thoughts from both the guys on the Nunthorpe. So it's Winter Power 11-2 to two for Rory, along with Emirati at 40-1. to one. And it's a triumvirate for Andy Holden. With Emirati <laughs> at 40-1, to one, Chipotle at 40-1, to one, and also, uh, what's the one you said, Andy? Moss Gill at 20-1. Yeah. But it, obviously it, available at 14-1 to one with the likes of Paddy Power Betfair. So do make sure you shop around with Bet365 offering 20-1 to one about Moss Gill. A brilliant well, in prospects. Sorry, Daniel. Yeah, um, it, it'll be a a difficult from difficult 24 hours for me now to try and work out which of those three to drop come my column tomorrow because I don't mind putting two uh, each way when there's the odds are favourable and there's the, the place terms are favourable. Um, but putting three up, I don't think I've ever done that. Well, I've never done that before. Um, you have to do the national. You have to do the exotics, Andy. I might have to. Um, but yeah, one of them, one one of them will definitely get dropped. But because uh, I don't know which one it is, uh, I suppose it depends uh, if the the prices hold up between <laughs> in the morning. Make sure you read Andy's column to check who he's put on the subs bench in the num four. We're moving back then, chaps, to the one fifty, the Skybet handicap, which is the opener of the card on Friday. Nearly one mile and four furlongs to trip. You've got the likes of at seven to one. My Frankel is towards the top of the betting, but the favourite at nine to two is for Her Majesty the Queen, the ultra progressive wink of an eye for David Egan and William Haggis. Seven to one for My Frankel, eight to one for the top weight Johnny Drama, and then you've got a number of horses at ten to one, including Midnight's Legacy and Strawberry Rock, along with State of Bliss. And at twelve to one, you've got Scarlet Dragon, Throne Hall, Winter Reprise, Rhythmic Intent. Dark Jedi and Sam Cook, and then it's fourteen to one bar. This looks ultra competitive, chaps. Andy, start with you. Obviously, Wink of an Eye was given a great ride by Ryan Moore at Goodwood last time out. Can he complete the five timer in this event? Yeah, it was a race that um, I had to watch through gritty teeth the day after when I was doing my replays because I, I put up Ziggy in, in that race, and how he didn't win, I do not know. Um, so you know, obviously, we, Wink of an Eye won it, but. To my eyes, he, he wasn't the best horse in the race, but that's taken nothing away from him because he's still a progressive three-year-old that he's clearly um, worthy of the utmost respect. Um, I do like three-year-olds, by and large, in these older horse handicaps. But York, as we saw yesterday with, with the Copper Knight race, has a habit of um, you know, patting the, patting the older horses on the back and, and complimenting them um, just as much. So I'd, I'd, be, I'd be more keen on something... That is a little bit more um, weather beaten in a race of this nature. Uh, I'd, I'd probably go with Dark Jedi here. Um, he's run quite well here before, but and, and they, they tried him. He's by and large been really good over a mile and a half, but they did try him over a mile six last time out at Musselburgh, and they rode him for the trip. He just didn't get home. He travelled up really well, two out, and in the end, the, the two strongest stays just out, out running Wise Eagle and um, Bodyline, two strong stays at the trip. But it wasn't a bad run by any stretch of the imagination. Prior to that, he'd won in a fast time at Ripon, beating a three-year-old, uh, uh, Rosanna Bad. Um, 
So I, th- I, I think he's got the right profile to run well here. He's available at around about 16 to 1. He hasn't got a bad draw. He's, he's somewhere in the middle, isn't he? Around 10. Um, but he's got some really, really healthy time figures um, next to his next to his name on our sheet anyway. And that suggests to me when they do go quick over a mile and a half, he's likely to be more suited to that test than others. So, yeah, I, I think um, I'll stick with a tried and trusted older horse here with, uh, with Dark, and Je- uh, Dark Jedi. Dark Jedi, 16 to 1 with both Bet365 and Bet Victor on the Ops Checker app. What about yourself, Rory? Uh, I was inclined to go down the same sort of angle and I looked at previous results of this race and the last eight winners of this have been four-year-olds, which rather put me off looking at the uh, at the older horses. Um, and you've only got two horses older than four winning this since um, since 2006. What about, three-year-olds? Three-year-olds? What about three-year-olds? Well, there have been no three-year-old winners since 2009. I don't know how many three-year-olds have been in the race. Right, yeah. To be honest, because obviously you've got the, you've got the Melrose, which, is, which would be attract a lot of the... Um, the three-year-old stairs, the Whispering Gallery one in 2009, London Express in 2006, um, both of those from Mark Johnson. So uh, if you find Mark Johnson three-year-old in the race, you'd uh, certainly sit up and take notice. And you've got one there in State of Bliss, um, who was obviously um, beaten by uh, Wink of an Eye um, at, um, at Goodwood, um, but then has won really well at Ascot since, uh, which of course means that um, uh, he's eight pounds higher than Goodwood, whereas Winkman is only four pounds higher, so he's actually he's four pounds worse off for getting beaten um, by Winkman. So his, his claims on that basis are um, um, a little um, forlorn. Is definitely the wrong word. A little, it's a little bit tricky to to argue that he should beat Winkman again. But I think if you if you took Winkman out of the race, state of state of this would look very attractive here because he's got he's got that typically progressive uh, Mark Johnson profile. He handles quick grounds. Um, he's produced a, a career best performance on his latest start. He's just blossoming at the right time. So if we didn't have that that particular form line, I think State of Bliss would be a shorter price. He's drawn out in stall 18, but I'm not worried about that over a mile and a half at York. Uh, first of all, the, the position of the stalls um, over a mile and a half, um, the, the stalls are in the centre rather than on the rail. So there's no great advantage for, for the low-drawn horses being on a rail. They're not. They tend to get pushed across a little bit. And obviously, you've got a lot longer until the bend. There's a long, long run until the first bend over a mile and a half. And the draw should not be an issue, particularly with a horse who can go forward, um, like State of Bliss can. And he's he's shown himself to be um, uh, uh, capable of, of running in uh, in different ways. He's, he's made the running and gone close before. He, he made most of the running when he was just touched off at Goodwood. Um, and then he was held up when he wanted to ask it last time out. Um, so that was an, obviously when Nicola Curry uh, ruled. That was her... Her first ride for Mark Johnson, uh, first winner in the uh, in the Shergar Cup. Some people will will maybe take that form with a pinch of salt because it's the Shergar Cup, as if it's some kind of uh, novelty um, event. But in terms of the form book, there's no reason why you shouldn't take um, Shergar Cup form seriously. Uh, so while he needs to take another step forward to win, I think he's got the right profile for it. So I would go uh, each way with State of Bliss here because he's he's a double figure price, uh, whereas you know Wink of an Eye is going to be about. Four to one or nine to two, and, and state of place is going to be ten or eleven to one. So I'd be happy to back him each way, um, and even if, if Wink of an Eye is able to confirm that form, um, and of course uh, Wink of an Eye not absolutely proven at the trip, you'd, you'd expect him to stay, um, given that he, he got the eleven furlongs pretty well at, um, at Goodwood and Softish Ground. But they're sometimes surprising. Uh, so even if Wink of an Eye is, it keeps going forward and wins the race, you, you're still getting a bit of place value about state of place. 
So Stade Bliss, a 10 to 1 shot for Rory with Paddy Power, Betfair, and Bet Victor. Whilst it's Dark Jedi for Andy, who is 16 to 1 with both Bet365 and Bet Victor. The final two races on Friday, we've got the EBF Phillies handicap at 4.40, and then finally the Skybet Mile handicap at 5.10 pm. Rory, we'll start with you. Anything that makes appeal in either of those races? Uh not in the uh, not in the Phillies handicap at all. I find that I, I do not I do not like um, assessing three year old Phillies in in sort of handicaps or even listed races. Um, I think they're they're awful races to uh, to to look at. No no offense to those who are running them. They're just very difficult from from someone who likes to um, uh, to use the form book to find winners. Um, that, that tends to be a uh, a tool that doesn't work quite so well. Um, you sounded like Graham Taylor there back in the day, didn't you? Oh, do, <laughs> yeah. do, do I not like? Do, do I, I not, not like Phillies like like handicaps? Handicap? <laughs> <laughs> um, the the concluding race is uh, is quite an interesting one. The Skybet Mile handicap, um, where again, if there is going to be a draw bias here. You don't want to. You tend not to be um, not to do so well drawn very wide uh, over over a mile. Um, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't say you can't win from there, but um, where I'm saying that I'm you know, over a mile and a half and further. Um, high draws can do really well. Um, seven furlongs and a mile, you do tend to want to be drawn low to mid. Um, there tends to be um, uh, an advantage there. Uh, I don't want to be drawn really low either, though. I think horses are drawn right on the inside can sometimes struggle. The strike rate of stall one, for example, um, tends to be lower than, 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 than say, three or four. Uh, I quite like the chance of King Triton. He's having his first run for um, uh, for Grant Shewer. Um He was a, a winner uh, on his third start for Roger Ferrian. An interesting purchase for for a yard that can do no wrong this season. Um, I think Grantshire must have the highest handicap strike rate in the country, mustn't he, this year? Um, and he really, I, I, I saw an interview with him yesterday where he was talking about going home and looking at the sectionals for a race of a, one of one of his horses had run in. And you hardly ever hear a trainer talking about analysing races um, a, after the event. So he clearly does his homework, Grant. Um, and his, the results this season have been absolutely spectacular. So King Triton. Um, a, a mark of 85 seems very fair for him starting out. And while three or four years ago, a move from Roger Varian to Grant Shearer would look like a big negative, don't think it is now. And I think he's um, he's an interesting one at a double-figure price. He's about 12 to 1, which I thought was um, was tempting. King Trice on 12 to 1 across the board for Rory in the finale, the 5-10. What about yourself, Andy? Anything in the 4-40 or 5-10? Yeah, I'd, I'd quite like one in the last race. Um He's a horse I've warmed to in the, in the last couple of starts. Um, Dejami Passo um, from, from the Andrew Baldwin stable. He informed rampant Andrew Baldwin stable and Oshie Murphy on. That's that's a team um, or a marriage made in heaven, isn't it, this season? Um, but um, since they've ridden him differently and dropped him back in trip, he, he's really blossomed. They ran him in that, I think it was a London Gold Cup, wasn't it, early on in the season at uh, Newbury Race, which is always... Um, traditionally a, a good form line for the rest of the season for three rolls. And that, but they made the running with him that day. And oh, I mean, that just was never going to happen. But it was him alone who m- made sure that that time figure for Bay Bridge was absolutely off the charts. I think actually Bay Bridge off the back of that was favourite to win at Royal Ascot until uh, a late um, injury scare um, kept, him, kept him off the track and he hasn't been seen since. Um, and that form has worked out particularly well. Uh, subsequently, but then they dropped him, dropped him down in trip, and dropped him in at Sandown, and he was a much better, better conveyance when he beat King of Clubs, who went on to run well at Newmarket next time out. 
And then he came here to York again. Um, I'm flying the flag for the York form, um, winning that female jockeys race the other day. And Haley Turner never had to twitch on him that day. I mean, he literally went through the race on the bridle, and he won by two and a half lengths. But it could have been treble that had he been pushed out to the line. He's clearly, clearly come of age just at the right time. Fast ground on the Naismar, no problem. Dropping back a mi- to a mile, I don't think that's going to be an issue. In fact, I think he'll improve for dropping back because he's got such a high cruising speed. He's got a lovely draw as well uh, in stall six. And most of his market rivals, albeit they're a little sexier, uh, Royal Fleet being one of the major ones, Starver Ryan and, and Aldari being another, are all drawn right on the wing. Royal Fleet, for a horse that pulls very hard uh, and expends a lot of energy, I see the Hoods goes on for the first time, Stall 16 of 16 is going to be a nightmare for William Buick because he's going to have to he's to drop him in and um, forsake probably the thick end of about 10 lengths or go forward. So I don't think he's a four to one shot where he's drawn and, and, and how he and how he's like where he's likely to be at halfway. Uh, and, and the other two, as I said, Aldari and Star Ryan. Strong Ascot form, but a lot of that is straight track Ascot form, and it's a different ball game coming here um, and having to prove yourself on the Naismar. So, the uh, Jami Passo has already proved himself here, and I think he's strong. His form lines are just as strong, and he's twelve to one. I, I can't work that. I can't work out for the life of me why he's twelve to one. So there you go, King Triton for Rory at twelve to one with Skybet and William Hill, and the Jami Passo at twelve to one. Uh, for Skybet and William Hill for Andy. So just quickly rounding up, chaps. Obviously, you've already spoke about all the racing in depth, but your best bets of the day, Andy, is it LaSalle for you? Um, oh, he's, he's, the, he's the most likely winner, obviously, 9-4. to four. Um, Obviously, he's, he's not the best. The best bet is obviously what's something you think is overpriced. So I think Lou Sale's only just marginally overpriced, but that's the satan. You could argue that he should be 2-1 to one or under. But we're splitting hairs there. Whereas I do think Dijami Passo at 12, I'd make him a 6-7-1 shot. So I think he's double the odds what I think he should be, certainly based on the time figures and what I've seen of him. And and his opposition are not drawn well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say Dijami Passo at the prices is, is arguably the pick. Dijami Passo in the 5-10. And Rory yourself? Um I think I might take an opportunity of. I, mean, I agree with Andy and I think you know Lucille is a is a crazy price at five to two for the Jim Crack. That I don't think that's going to last. Um, and you you know you end up looking a bit daft when you talk about what great value a five to two shot is when it ends up being six to four across the board. I might go head to head with uh, with Andy. Um, he makes a good point about the draw there, but the Jamie Passo drawn in stall six um, and King Triton drawn right beside him in stall seven. I quite like this as a matchup. Um, just to just to clarify, uh, Ria's handicap. He needs to improve in terms of his speed figures so far, King Triton. But the horse he beat in the uh, novice at um, at Thirst last time out uh, won a handicap the other day off a mark of ninety five. Now he was given seven pounds away when King Triton beat him three quarters of a length at Thirsk. Um, but King Triton starts on eighty five here, and and on the basis of uh, what Motawaja did last time out, eighty five is a lenient mark. So I'll I'll take the head to head, the same price. They're drawn next to each other. It's a nice little. Um, Nice little side bet, isn't it? He's he's a nice he's a nice horse, King Triton. I mean, he looks the part, doesn't he? When when you yeah. see him physically, um, and he's he's got you know good battling qualities. But yeah, you're right. He does just based on number time figures anyway. Overall time figures, he's he's a little way off some of these at the, at the moment. But yeah. that's not suggesting for one minute he can't get there. You don't want to you don't want to waste your good time figures in your qualifying runs, Andy. As well, you know. 
<laughs> exactly. Well, he's he's the perfect. He's the hardest horse to assess in the field because of yeah. that. And let's face it, if he was still with Roger Varian, he wouldn't be that price. No. And yet he's, he's not a through out. Um, he he cost a hundred grand at the sales. Mm. So there's no reason why he should he should be a bigger price because of the stable switch. Yeah. Really interesting stuff from both the guys. So 12 to 1, Dejami Paso, and 12 to 1, King Triton, the naps of Rory and Andy. Thanks so much for their time today. I've been your host, Danny Archer. Some really great insight into the Num 4, the Lonsdale Cup, and a number of other fascinating races on day three of your. Remember to check the odds checker out for the best prices. Thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you for day four, the final preview with the Skybet Ebor, the highlights. <laughs>